Well, you've probably heard about this new fad arriving in David Wood's life. No, that's a bad beginning. That's not fair. I'm going to start again. <laughs> no, no. No, this no, no. This is real. That no. came out of your spirit. No, it doesn't. <laughs> beginning again. Cut it here, Zach. Hello, fellow travelers. This is David Woods, your host and trusted guide. Welcome to our little fellowship as we gather to discuss the Christian life in a post-Christian world. We are broadcasting from Babylon with love. You've probably heard about house churches, know of house churches, and have wondered like me, is that okay? Is that how we're supposed to be doing it? Is this sketchy? Is this actually closer to true form? Is that what the early church was? Or is this a cult? Well, today we are going to talk about home churches and talk to a pastor of a house church, Dr. David Woods. So thanks for joining us on the podcast today, friends. (laughs) Um, I'm Laura Hashimov, usually the co-host, and now I'm taking the reins to really explore this strange new journey that David Woods has been on the past few years and find out if uh, this home church movement is something to get worried about or excited about. I'm um, intensely relaxed just having you run this thing. So this is a, I think we should do this a lot more. Uh, happy to, happy to. Happy to be on the podcast, Laura. <laughs> so David, how did you get started in a home church um, and yeah, we'll just start there. What what led you from a twenty year journey in not house churches to all of a sudden be doing church in your home, garage, backyard every Sunday? Yeah, fair play. Um, so Zoe Church has been around for about eighteen years, um, and Zoe Church has always been a very small church. So a lot of the ways that we are experiencing house church is not totally dissimilar from how we've experienced church as just a small mm-hmm. church. Mm-hmm. So if I advocate for house churches, which I, I will, um, I think underneath that is really me saying a small church is is the best church. And mm. I'm happy to make that case to anyone, anywhere, all the time. Now for us, um, so always committed to being a small church, always committed to growing deep and not necessarily sort of advertise or try to like grow broad per se. Um, although the Lord has been kind in different seasons with different folks. Um, but we just sort of always kind of stayed the course of being a small church that put a high value on being able to know your pastor and know each other and deal with the, the real challenges of life without trying to add a lot of extra artificial challenges structurally. Um, so that was always the mode. Uh, that was the mode that Pastor John uh, sort of trained me as a pastor. Um, he would say things like famously, you know, Dave, you got to be careful about meetings because when you meet, people decide things. <laughs> and so like there was just these, he had come out of the mega church world and he had seen structural things about how people did church and how people did professional ministry that just sort of became this thing. Right. And just sort of almost had its own sort of uh, momentum that wasn't necessarily the Lord, wasn't necessarily bad, but was just this whole thing. So for 20 years almost, um, I've just sort of come up as a pastor with someone who was was sort of throwing those things to the side and saying, ministry is what we're called to do. We got to answer the Lord. We got to make sure that we're up to the things that we need to be up to and try not to add a bunch of extra stuff. So that was always sort of like the logic and the the, the mode of pastoral training I was under. Um, but the way we got into a house was just COVID. I mean, we were in a small church every year. We'd pray like, can we make another year rent? Like, can we renew the lease? I mean, when you're a small church, you're a small church. You're, you're living pretty close to the bone, just like uh, most families in Orange County, frankly, um, do. And so every year we'd be praying, Lord, do you want us to renew the lease? Is that responsible? Can we do that? Are we going to be able to make that? Um, and every year the Lord would have us renew the lease until the lockdown happened, until COVID uh, set in. 
And then it became really tough for a small working class church to pay for a space it was not using. And it became sort of crazy. Um, we're like, man, hmm. we, we can't yeah. do this. And so we were really grateful to the Lord um, when we approached our landlords at a place that we were at for the better part of 15 years, um, if we could get out of our lease early, which at the time, landlords and rental properties and all these things, they were holding the line strong because they were losing money yeah. and they were fearful. And so a lot of times they were actually raising rates at a time when everyone was hoping they'd be lowering them. And mm -hmm. so it was truly by the grace of God and the fact that we had had a, a responsible, steady little witness in that, in that office space that we rented for over a decade. And they said, yeah, no problem. And they mm -hmm. let us out months mm -hmm. early. Mm -hmm. um, of our one year lease. I mean, it wasn't, you know, so that was significant for us. Once that happened, then we became the zoom church, like so many others. And we did what we felt was responsible. And, and, and then we tried to figure out, man, well, what are we going to do? Um, if, and when we can meet again and the, if, and when didn't come for a while for us, we were, we were very sort of careful with that. We had, um, a few folks that were super high risk. And so, and because we we're small, you know, we were aware of each other. And right. So we were like, oh, well, we have that family or this family or this person who couldn't meet even if we did meet. So the impulse of the that many people had to meet as soon as possible was not with us in that same way. Mm -hmm. We longed to meet, we ached to meet, but because we were small and we knew who was in our fellowship, we were like, well, we want to all be able to meet, you know, and, and try to wait till we can do that. Um, so that helped as a pastor um to not have this like pressure feeling like we got to find a space we got to we got to we got to solve this real quick right and so we were able to have this season of trying to figure out how to do ministry and meeting um apart and remotely and pastor john was teaching faithfully every sunday you know on the little facebook live and everything else right um doing the thing and then we had a christmas eve that was approaching uh must have been 2021 um, and Lisa and I were like, I think we can, I think it's, I think we can have everyone here mm -hmm. for a Christmas Eve service. And so it was a real simple service. Um, we sang Christmas carols together. Uh, not everyone could make it, but a, a lot of our crew could make it. So they're crowded into our little house here, um, packing out the living room, standing here in the dining room area too. Uh, we sang Christmas carols together this evening. I shared a brief little devotional thought and we could all feel something extraordinary and sure mm. part of it was we hadn't been together and so it was right. like almost overwhelming in that mm -hmm. sense but there was something also about being together in this little space that was also extraordinary and we could just feel the presence of the lord in a way that was really sweet and even surprisingly um sort of profound at least for myself and i think for others so after that Christmas Eve, Lisa and I started talking and we're like, you know what? I think we could just... We could do this. We could do this. Hmm. Um, because what you don't want to do is you don't want to ask someone else to open their home. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's too much of a sacrifice. Yeah. You can't talk someone into that. It, and it, just logistically it's coordinating. Ins yeah. It's really tricky in that sense. So the only reason we are a house church on some level is because uh, Lisa and I both felt that the Lord was calling us to do that um, in our home, right? Mm -hmm. And and I wouldn't have talked or tried to talk Lisa into that. Um, it was going to be the Lord is going to talk both of us into that mm -hmm. because it was. I knew either direction. It, it could not be one person guilting someone else or several other else's into something that required so much sacrifice uh, for my family or for mm -hmm. my wife in particular. Mm -hmm. So I was like, front to back, this has to be from the Lord or it has no legs and we'll just end up being so upset. You know, mm -hmm. it would be too hard. So we had a, a season on uh, 20, gosh, I'm getting the years wrong, but. Um, we had a season of like spring into like a summer. We we're like, okay, I think it's we can do this. I think we're gonna officially do this. And so we met 
at our home in the backyard. We set up, I had all the chairs and stuff from the building largely stored in my garage, what was mm, left. Mm-hmm. So we had like the stuff. So we set up all the chairs in the backyard, even set up like the little thing and the the stand, music stand, and John was teaching in the backyard and things like that. And we did that for this first summer, that first summer. And it was kind of like we were still doing church, like we were in the building, but the building just happened to look like my house. Okay. Okay. So it, it had a feel to it and it was cozy, um, but by the end of that summer, Lisa and I were exhausted. Okay. Yeah. And we're like, school's about to start up and all the things that go with it, with my work and with the kids. And we could just tell. And Pastor John was so gracious and careful with us. He'd always be checking in. How you guys doing? Because he knew, like, this has to be from the Lord. It can't be like you feel right. obliged to do this. Mm-hmm. And so we're all expecting you to do this. Mm-hmm. So he was always like, how are you doing? How's Lisa doing? How are you guys doing? Um, and I would try to make sure I kind of had a sense of the pulse of things. And by the end of the summer, I was like, I think we, we need to take a break, you know? Hmm. And mm-hmm. so we took a break because um, we were exhausted. <laughs> it was a lot. Um, and then, man, we took a break through the fall, another Christmas, and and then we started to feel like, okay, I think the Lord's calling us to do this again. But it happened differently. It was okay. it was not it was not just porting our church into our house. Um, we were used to the online teaching mode, um, and I started to teach. You know, I was teaching like a little mini thing devotional time with my kids mm-hmm. before. John was online for us because when you have young kids, you realize, man, it's almost impossible to pay attention to the online team. So it's convenient for everybody except those with families, (laughs) which is, which is, turns out quite a few people in our church. Um, and so word got out with some of our friends that I was teaching like, at like nine, nine 30, whatever. I was teaching a little bit of time with our kids so that we didn't feel like guilty that they were either outside running or watching something while we watched the sermon, right? Yeah. So we kind of, at least, and I kind of found a little family rhythm of like, okay, I'm gonna have this like Sunday school time with my, our babies, and then um, and then we'll have our time with the word. And people um, got wind of that. They got a little wind of that, and then so we had you know one of our our family couple fam- people um, say, well, could we you know. Um, have that so that because it would help us to focus on John's teaching if we were like with other grown-ups yeah. like watching the teaching mm-hmm. right like people had done with like pods and stuff like that before um, because no one was quite getting the word and everyone kind of knew it even though right. John was faithfully yeah. teaching it was just like we didn't like have an ability to focus and we weren't no. doing great with that mm-hmm. so a couple families started coming over and I started teaching all the kids um, like a little Sunday school beforehand. And the adults just like went out on the patio and just like took a breath. Yeah. And and then they came in, the kids went out to play and we came in, we all watched the word together and listened to the word together. And we were able to be much more focused because people were mm-hmm. all together mm-hmm. doing that and we're taking notes and whatever. Um, <laughs> Can't just be like making breakfast while... Yeah. yeah. So everyone was just kind of on point a little bit more, but it was just a few families. And... And then the Lord just started to say, hey, this is like, this is, this it. is it. Because it opened up this time for the grownups to have fellowship and to breathe while I was teaching the kids before the sermon happened. And we're like, oh, that is unbelievable and important mm-hmm. for people to just be like, mm-hmm. hey, I'm a human being. How are you? <laughs> um, and not usually when you attend church, you go, go, go. It's the next thing you do, the next thing. You don't usually show up and then rest. Right. And just fellowship. You fellowship afterward if you can hang out for a little bit. Mm -hmm. So he kind of like organically showed us a little structure or rhythm that was really life-giving. And then because it started so small, um, if people hung out and we did lunch, like they would either bring food or they would help like assemble food. Yeah. And we were like, oh, this is a little different than before where Lisa, I felt like we needed to put on a church. Yeah, a hospitality. At our home where we were trying to, you know, host everything or whatever, do a, do the things. And so we prayed and I think it was Lisa again who was like, I think, I think we can do this. I think we can mm-hmm. invite everyone to do this. And I th- and we felt like we had this st- structure is the right word, this, this kind of 
order of worship or something that was sustainable, felt a little different. And we said, okay, if we're going to do this, we're going to need everyone, you know, it's, yeah, it's our house, but like sort of, you know, it's going to need to be. Yeah. This is not a, this is not a operation or like, this is not a polished operation here. Right. And it's not a two person operation. Right. Because I was teaching the Sunday school and you know, we're whatever. Um, and so I was like, okay, if we do this, we're going to ask almost everybody to take turns teaching Sunday school. We're just going to ask straight up. And then if we're going to do a meal together, which we wanted to do, we're going to be like, everyone's going to have to participate or it's not going to work. Um, and I can still remember like first or second Sunday morning in which we were having everybody over. At least it was like, uh, or I was like, oh my gosh, we're out of coffee. And uh, I need, I'll, I'll run to the store. You know, it's like, you know, we're going to meet at nine. I'll run to the store. It's 830. I'll run to the store. I'll be back in time. And she was like, no, we just don't have coffee. Yeah. And I was like, you know, pastors like are up to a couple things in life. And one of them is like, make sure there's coffee. And make sure there's coffee or else. <laughs> you can't have church without coffee. And donuts. Um, and donuts. Yeah. And in Orange County, maybe orange slices instead of donuts. <laughs> um, <laughs> but okay. So I was like. It was this moment where she was mm-hmm. like, no, people will just recognize that we don't have coffee. Mm-hmm. And then they'll be like, we need coffee. Mm-hmm. And then they'll be like, I'll bring coffee. Mm-hmm. And she didn't even, I don't know if she said all that. It was just like, there was an intuition that if we try to make it perfect, yeah, Sunday number one, it's going to be what it was before and it's, and it's going to be exhausting. Yeah, we'll continue to over-function. And- yes, We'll continue to put on church yeah. rather than have church just in our home. Is, is that what you would say is the difference? Because you mentioned like we do, we were doing our house church like we were in a building church. Like what what would you say is the difference between... Because when you first talk about it, I, I'm thinking, well, my house, my church is... What's different than a house church from my church? We bring in all our stuff on a Sunday morning and then we pack it all out. Yeah. Um, so what would you say... It's like different besides the fact that you're not renting yeah. a separate building. Yeah. Well, that's not for nothing um, in Orange County. Um, to not have the burden of, of uh, rent is a huge freedom. Yeah. So I actually think that's one of the great gifts of a house church. Um, there is also the, the reality of being in a home makes everyone feel different. Okay. Um, seeing pictures on the walls, seeing the books uh, in the shelves, whatever, um, you inhabit a space differently. For 15 years, we had a small space, um, but it got pretty wrecked. Like, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. people trampled in, <laughs> trampled out, and sometimes they'd notice something and try to help yeah. clean up. Um, but they do not treat my home like they treated the space we were in before. And I didn't have to say anything. It's just like, oh my gosh, this is someone's home. So people comport themselves slightly differently when they're in a home. Yeah. Um, and what it does is it actually seems to draw out the best in in people. They don't feel like they're watching something. They mm-hmm. feel like they're a part of they're, they're in the middle of something. Um, it has a just a different atmosphere, even from a very similarly small space before. Okay. Um, and so I think we started to feel those things out. That was not like planned. It was just like, oh. And then it quickly became obvious with these sort of love feasts we were having because people were genuinely bringing food and assembling it together, not in like a potluck random thing, but we started doing themes and we were like, let's be really intentional. And the lunch became as as great as anything else we were up to. It became a form (laughs) of communion. We weren't even doing official communion yet. And it became so rich that John and I would talk and he'd be like, this is very much a love feast thing. This is very similar to first century communion. Let's let this breathe for a little bit before we just start getting the wafer and the little juice thing again. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like it really started to show even John and I different things about um, the presence of the spirit in this place and the way that people were sharing things from the practical side. People just started doing the dishes. They, they, they knew that that would be very strange to just leave us with all of these dishes right. to do. So people just started to do dishes in the kitchen and people just started without <laughs> being asked to take responsibility for the space and for what we were doing together. And that is decidedly different yeah. than a small building uh, for whatever reason. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure you could cultivate it, but you'd probably have to kind of require it or mention it or, but it, it happened in a much more organic kind of feeling way because it was our home and people were like, Oh, we we love your home. We want we love you. We want to be 
able to be here and respect you know we didn't have to say that that kind of stuff we were Mm -hmm. just really blessed when it started happening Mm -hmm. so um a lot of the misnomers about a house church and to be fair like if you had told me house church a few years ago i'd be like okay that's a cult and it's made up of people who don't want spiritual authority so there's probably no Mm -hmm. official pastor anywhere near them yeah that's often what it is like it's not like this is just a thing and if you do this it's all good like it needs to have order like you got little kids everywhere. If you don't have order, like it's going to be like the COVID era right. where you can't even focus on anything. So we felt led into an order of worship that was life-giving, that had space, that had space for fellowship and rest, that had space for teaching, space for food and hospitality, mm-hmm. that if you were to tell people, hey, our church starts at nine and you'll get home by maybe one, they'd, yeah. they'd run for the hills. Like <laughs> we're just not used to thinking of church like that it sounds awful um if you were to tell me that in the old world hey you're gonna have church from this time to this and it's only one service it's open-ended and i'd yeah. be like whoa you know it sounds like a total nightmare <laughs> um but it turns out it just it's just lovely um and it works in a way that hmm. felt totally sustainable and lisa and i were like i think this is different than yeah. when we were trying to set up church in our house, lining up the chairs out in the backyard and like acting like we were still in a little space. Yeah, and thanks for coming. And yeah, that's interesting. What? So you're kind of talking about the the emotional. Well, maybe that's not a fair word of it for it. So the difference between a house church and and a church in a building, you're sort of saying is there's there's a coziness, there's a responsibility that people take for it. There's, there's a level of investment and ownership that you think people have that you can't get in a, in a building. It's, it's dulled in a building. And just dulled. Or, in or you have to top down, like, teach it. Yeah. And then it has a totally different feel. What would you say to maybe the criticism of the opposite of that? It's leading people to be sort of too casual or relaxed or... Um, they'll stroll in at 9.45 or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Because mm-hmm. um, I think you mentioned kind of this, we can get to the rebellion too, but in my head, I, I could imagine two criticisms. One is that it, a house church leads to like, how's the rebellious? Or I could hear somebody saying a house church is um, for the sort of lackadaisical, you know, um, and just sort of, you know, free flowing. Mm-hmm. Um, and w- you are actually lacking something in the formality. Yeah. I, again, you have to have order. <clears throat> and and I, I do think you could, it could totally be that. That is not a healthy way to do it. Um, you, I mean, anyone who knows church is, everyone shows up late all the time anyway, because it's California, first of all. Um, everyone skips worship, uh, you know, <laughs> largely and sees worship as the time in which they can arrive instead <laughs> of the thing they must be present for. My church starts at 11.15 and at 11.30, it's just like, you couldn't, it's 11.15. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that is not any different, right? And <laughs> yeah. in fact, you know, when you got to walk in the front door yeah, and we're like true. already here, yeah. um, I'm sure that's a feeling. I haven't felt it because I'm already here, but... I I know I would have felt it because mm. I was always late, you know, when I didn't have to do the thing when I was uh, younger. So, so um, I feel like the the responsibility that people hop up, like when you go to a building, you kind of assume everything's covered, yeah, because you weren't talking or meeting about it, and it, so someone yeah. must do that. Someone must do that. Here, it'd be like, can I do that? Mm-hmm. They would just assume it wasn't necessarily covered because some we need to bring chairs in from the garage or whatever. Um, and so people would just start to like think about the space and what needed to happen in a way that was totally different than attending a church where you kind of assume the professionals are in charge and it's all covered. Yeah. Um, now, again, small church is always going to be a little bit better than that because you're going to know, hey, guys, we all need to help. Um, but go anywhere beyond a small church and you really are like everything must be covered and I, I attend. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So it, it, it blew that up even more than I could have expected. But you still needed to have order and mm. there still needed to be space and time for things to happen. And it could, it's not, we're not just like show up when you can and we're just going to let the spirit move. <laughs> because again, with small kids, you just wouldn't be able to have anything happen except 
kids running around party. And are there, are there clear roles of authority and like, um, I don't know. Yeah. Does it, are there sort of boundaries of like who's in charge of what or, um, so this is the other thing. You can't have a church without pastors. Right. Okay. So if you have a house church and there's no pastor, you have a book club. (laughs) <laughs> and usually you do have a book club. Usually yeah. you left church because you're annoyed with the pastors and you want to read Henry Nowen or something or Richard Rorty or whatever. Um, and so you just want to get together with people who are almost exactly your phase of life and you want to talk about why mm-hmm. the church is not so good. That's not what this is. You have to have a... Pa- like Ephesians 4. Okay, Ephesians 4 says that the Lord gave to the church, right? Prophets, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, right? Uh, evangelists. For the, I'll just read it um, so I can walk out just a couple terms real quick. Um, so, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach, keyword, unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become, keyword, mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's what church is for. Church is not for your non-Christian friends. They can come in and look in, but it's not an evangelistic enterprise. It is not meant to be strictly or even primarily attractional. It's meant to be for Christians to be equipped to do the work of the ministry so that we, as Christians, attain to the unity and maturity of Christ. Okay? Ephesians 4, 13, plus, plus, plus. Um, That's what church is for. So what it kind of does, the house church thing, is it kind of like shakes up a little bit of what we kind of think of church as, which is usually like a big attractional space for people to invite their whoever's so that we can have this more kind of exciting feel to what's happening here. Um, And it ends up kind of saying, look, you can't be in a healthy church unless that church is able to come to unity and maturity unless it's growing in unity and maturity mm-hmm. you you cannot again my defense is largely for the small church you cannot have unity in a large setting in which mm-hmm. you don't know each other and in which there are so many competing agendas it's 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 impossible to have the unity that Paul's describing in Ephesians 4 um, when it gets past a certain size I mean this is just true of any human experience um, and that unity, you, you get that unity by like having space to hear each other, by having room to, to bear with each other, to, to process through the fact, hey, we don't agree on this. We need to keep going until... You, if you leave when you don't agree, there can't be unity. If you have room where you could just attend the second service instead, you'd not, you don't have unity, right? So like what I say about house churches or small churches is you, you, you just want all the right problems, yeah. You don't want any of the wrong problems. And you need you need a regular consistent atmosphere and community of faith that can be growing in unity and maturity to the full measure of Christ. That's what the church is. So and and he, you know, starts Ephesians 4 talking about how you get anywhere with these things, which is to live a life of humility and gentleness and patience. And again, this has been said to death in other contexts, but you can't be humble once and you can't be humble with one person every few months Mm -hmm. you know like you can't be patient once in a while like patience and humility is what happens when you bear with people you disagree with through the power of the spirit growing you more into christ likeness so that you can come to love and work through those things by being humble and by being patient and by being long-suffering and all the fruit of the Spirit. Like, the church is that environment in which the fruit of the Spirit needs to be able to exist, and that group of people cannot be too large or it it's becomes anonymous. Again, I, I can be patient with strangers all day. It's really hard to be patient with my children when it's the 17th time I've asked the thing or whatever. Mm-hmm. So you need an environment in which you are sharing that time in the community of faith with the same people in a a small enough context where you have to be patient regularly every week Mm -hmm. and you have to be humble and humbled regularly over months because so-and-so is still there you know um so you're just trying to like you're trying to have a group of people who is who are pastored uh, you know, sheep don't fight wolves. That's the pastor's job, right? 
Um, sheep don't stay together on their own. They mm. just wander off. Yeah. Um, that's the pastor's job as well. You, know, you bring the word in as like a focal point so that unity and maturity are before us as the goal of why we're here. Um, and so that wolves and other things are pointed at or like warned against or whatever so that you're not accidentally inviting extra problems into your life together. Um, but I, I would be hard pressed for someone to say, you know, you could have unity and maturity um, with hundreds of people. Yeah, I, w- I was gonna ask what, and this is not um, a, a declamation from on high or anything, but at what number do you feel like you, you yourself could no longer be accountable to shepherd the flock that is among you? It's a great question. I, I, I would guess probably 50 people. Okay. Um, I, and I think the house size is probably pretty darn close to what yeah. you could actually be accountable to God for as a pastor. Mm-hmm. And what we usually do is just say, okay, we'll multiply staff, right. and then we'll kind of have enough goods and services that everyone can feel like they can have their needs met. Mm-hmm. That's not pastoring. That's just trying to run an organization without people grumbling too much. Mm-hmm. You, you, To be able to pastor the people of God, you have to be able to be humbled, growing with them in unity and maturity yourself because it's the same people. It's supposed to be a family of faith. It's supposed to be like this extended family. Um, and in that way, um, as soon as you get past a certain size, I mean, whether you want to go the sociological route, you can't have that many friends. You can't be right. that close to that many people. It's not possible. And so something is immediately lost if that's your goal. If mm-hmm. your goal is to get to a place where you can no longer really know people, that is a completely not uh, sort of healthy goal, yeah. right? So What's for that? me, the goal is the opposite. It's like, it's your question. How many people can I pastor in good faith well, and how many people can they in good faith grow alongside and with to the unity and maturity and the full stature of Christ? How many people, you know, without it just rotating for ease? Um, and so I feel like small space or home is a really good constraint. But this is also a larger question about... Uh, I, I think professional ministry is probably a mess. I think, I think pastors. The, I think the next wave of things should be bivocational ministry by and large, and I think in part because one of the reasons we got the structural things we got with bigger churches, and I don't mean every church is big. I mean every church wants to be big. Mm-hmm. So it's so it's like every small church wants to be a big church, mm-hmm. at least in my experience. Like they're all like yeah. excited about that, right? Um, and in part, it's because you have 40 to 60 hour a week pastors, many of whom are like, okay, so my job is to, mm-hmm. and God bless them, but they're not spending 20 to 30 hours prepping sermons most of the time, even though that's the Spurgeon rule, uh, an hour of prep for a minute of preaching, right? Like if that's what a pastor is truly up to, great. God bless him, pay him full-time money. But what usually happens is they're just managing. They're managing the space. They're organizing people. They're planning retreats and trips. And they're doing all these other things that are not essential um, mm-hmm. and maybe are the opposite of that, maybe are even just more distracting. And people will expect them to do those things. And so there's a form of professional ministry that's completely bloated. And I mean, they, uh, it's like when I was homeschooled and you realize... <laughs> you realize, oh, it takes about an hour or two to do <laughs> the work, right? Yeah. Um, and yet we are in school from seven to three because... But would you say that there is something lost in... How do I say this? Like in, like while we could say, yeah, homeschool, you could do this in an hour or two. Um, you could do a whole a whole week's worth of math in you know two hours or whatever, but isn't there something lost in in the process of moving more slowly in the sense that like potentially a full time pastor could have space and energy for meeting with people for um, for that long term sermon prep for mm-hmm. yeah like preparing for you know the 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 married couple's small group or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, isn't there, by being a house church, isn't, there are certain things you are unable to provide to people and by being bivocational, right? Yeah. So when you think about like some of those cons, mm-hmm. are, would you say that 
yeah, it would be nice, but it's not going to happen? Or would you say, like, I think it's better that we actually don't have that much room to move? The latter. I I would challenge any pastor listening to this, not to shout out, but to, like, look at how they spend their hours. Yeah. And we're human beings. So half the time we're on, like, some Google search of something that was adjacent to, like, what does this region of the Galilee look like? If I'm going to, yeah. you know, like yeah. the, the problem is we're just people mm-hmm. and, and we have the wrong expectations from our congregations of what we need to be able to do. So most congregations are not asking their pastor to do what you just described, especially if you get larger, you delegate that you stop doing mm-hmm. premarital counseling. You stop doing weddings. Right. You have the guy whose job is to just do that, do that. So you you just become more and more the the CEO of this organization, and all you have to do is look for advertising for pastor jobs, mm-hmm. and they will be explicit. Mm-hmm. You need to wear these ten hats. You need to have this skill set. You need to have managed or operated something of this size before. Um, and I would just say to any pastor listening, I I, I totally understand on the outside like. Um, there are some pastors who for sure do what you just described with their time, um, but they are absolutely in the minority. And it's not their fault. It's that they literally were brought up and hired by an organization to mm-hmm. run it. Mm-hmm. So they're faithfully doing what they were hired to do. It just turns out it, most of it's not pastoring. Hmm. So yeah, I, the Lord has kept my leash short because he doesn't trust me with with more time. And I don't think I am unusual. I think I think we all do better with limitations on mm. certain things. Um, and I would say I should be able to do everything you just described, um, or the church should be able to do everything you just described. So if I can't visit a sick person, right? Um, I should be able to 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 say, hey, uh, Daniel, or, or one of my one of my people's, like, can you go visit so and so in the hospital? Um, I don't get a break until such and such, and mm-hmm. it sounds like it's really urgent. Um, so what it does is it creates the right needs. Um, I believe in the priesthood of all believers and, and the ability for mature Christians to minister effectively to each other and to others. Um, and so, again, I think a lot of times it only creates the right problem, hmm. um, whereas the other way creates so many unnecessary problems. Um, and pressures and challenges. And every pastor who is honest knows they feel an extraordinary pressure to maintain a space, to maintain a budget, to maintain a momentum, which usually means butts and seats, having mm-hmm. a certain number so that we don't start looking around and being like, oh, this is kind of sad. Um, they internalize that, and it, it's ruined people. It's, I mean, there are young guys who have taken their life as young pastors of successful big churches because they've internalized this amount of pressure on what a pastor is, and most of that has nothing to do with pastoring. Mm. So I think structurally, um, it is completely off the rails in that way. Now, I know faithful ministers who are full-time, including Father Hayden, that I totally trust with the maturity and discipline to use those hours as a pastor could or should. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just simply not my experience that that is what most churches expect, allow for, and most pastors have the discipline to do. Hmm. So, yeah, bivocational is hard, but I think it turns out most of the time in, spent in professionalized ministry is bloated and unnecessary hmm. and is more managerial than it is pastoral. Now, again, if someone wants to like walk that out, great. And if you're like, no, I do better, great. That, that yeah. just... That's the point, right? Hmm. Is that we should be able to at least ask those questions. Um, okay. If that goal is unity and maturity, and you can do that only truthfully uh, by bearing with, like marriage is supposed to be the crucible of your discipleship writ most intimate, right? Okay. And it's because it's one person, right? That you're sharing everything with. So like, we can't suddenly think, well, if I share f- with 500 people, I'm sure it'll do the same kind of work, mm-hmm. you know, in my life. No, like the community of faith has to be this community that you know and grow with in a way that has not a lot of other extra things like the marriage where you know each other so well, you can't get away with stuff. Like you just, you know, it'll just show. And so what it does to be a part of a really small church or even a house church is 
it says the it leaves you with the right problem. So um, what do we do with our kids? That's, yeah, well, that's, gonna, that's the right thing, right? I was going to ask, what are the, what like, are the cons of it? What are the cons of this? I would say every con is simply the right problem because it's your actual life. So what happens is, and the reason most people won't do house church is because they simply cannot give up the convenience of dropping their kids off somewhere. Mm. Uh, I'll just, I'll stand by that. Because I know people who did house church for a couple years and eventually many people bail because it's simply too hard to not partake of the convenience of consumer, uh, that's not fair, contemporary Christian church experience, mm. which is... You get time, drop them off, do your thing, and we're going to give you a high-powered message that's going to make you feel good about your week. Um, all right. I don't, and I, like, so what you're saying is we're just that's the time in which we don't want to deal with those things. And I understand that. I'm a parent. We all want and need those kinds of breaks in some ways. That's not, I don't think, what church is for, right? Um, so I think a church should feature the children in a way that's like, hey, um, they're the right kind of problem because they're persons and they and they need to be thought of as a part of this community. And we shouldn't have all these generational divides where everyone doesn't know anybody because they're all in their own little cluster of peers um, and they're not having to deal with each other. So mm-hmm. everyone has to deal with the little kids running past throughout the time. Mm-hmm. Most Every adult in this little house church teaches them um, for a couple weeks in a row uh, for Sunday school. That kind of thing is the thing. It's like we're not trying to say, hey, a couple of us are going to do everything. It's, it's no, we're going to help each other. But like for kids, like the parents, the home, that's, that's the primary place of their discipleship. And then church becomes this place where parents are less connected to their discipleship than ever before. And yeah. a lot of times people are like, I don't even know what you learned in Sunday school and this kind of thing. And, and so it's like, I want the right problems and, and I want the right challenges. And I want to say, how do, we, how do we wrestle with this together mm-hmm. and actually know what's going on, whether we have little kids or not, or they're whatever phase of life we're in. Um, let's, let's keep the right problems in front of us, the right challenges, because these mm-hmm. are the challenges you have on Monday. Mm-hmm. This is a challenge of your actual life, right? But we made a form of church that like could remove you from those things to give you this like p- very pleasant moment of your week, which is not very real, but is very mm-hmm. pleasant. And then we started to associate Jesus with this unreal moment of of like not having to deal with a lot of these inconveniences of life, and then people get confused as to why they have trouble growing or dealing with Monday through Saturday mm-hmm. um, and their marriages have problems and all, you know, and all of the things that are difficult. But we created this like mode of doing church in which you, you can kind of just make these separations and make everything a little more convenient mm-hmm. or sterile. And again, our church has order. Our church has structure. It's not all messy and oh life's messy Mm -hmm. Uh, that's not what i'm saying um i'm just saying like you know the challenges need to be the right challenges and they need to be the challenges of your real life Mm -hmm. so you know like watching a community of faith participate in the gifts of the spirit not because we did a five-week uh you know teaching on the gifts of the spirit and filled out a form um but because they recognize a need and the spirit in them is like, oh, I can help. I can mm-hmm. do that. I can mm-hmm. minister to that kid who just fell down and is crying. I can, I can see that we keep not having this thing when we have lunch together, or we keep not thinking about right. how the kids are are being asked to sit too long in a particular place. Like, someone has eyes on something, sees an issue, sees a need, sees a challenge, and there's something about letting the spirit be able to move on people's hearts to say like, oh, uh, well, Dave's doing that. Lisa's over there, you know, John's there. Well, I'm here. And and something about that, you don't get maturity to the full stature of Christ. You don't have that goal um, unless you're like really participating and you're, and you're becoming responsible for each other in a way that I can't just say in a, in a teaching and make it happen. Hmm. I've done those teachings. Um, but until you have to be patient with a crying child for the thousandth time, <laughs> right? You don't have to be patient. Right. If you can just send them away um, or whatever, right? Like you have to be in a real enough situation of life together 
that the fruit of the spirit can slowly grow and be born among you. Um, and not just in a, a focused teaching series in which we're all thinking about it all of a sudden, but in a way that is normal as a rhythm. Mm. Um, and yeah. so to me, that's, that's what we're trying to be up to here is take away everything that is not absolutely necessary. Um, try to only have the real challenges of life before us, um, have place where the word is central where our worship is important. We're still growing in our ability to worship together as mm -hmm. families. That's been we're tricky. We're trying to find our way with it, but we're finding our way with it. We're letting the Lord kind of highlight things that we need to kind of strengthen a little bit. Like we don't have this all like sorted, but it's like, that's the right question. How do you worship together better? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's not like, who's responsible for, you know, the lighting. It's like, how do you worship together in a way where everyone is able to enter in um, when we're worshiping as families and we're worshiping all together? Like, why does that feel funny right now when, when the kids are worshiping with us? Hmm. Why does it, you know, like those kinds of questions, how do you, how do you bring those things into your life? And as a community, you know, maybe somebody has an eye or ear on something and can, say you know what i think we could do hmm. or you know i've been praying about this and i think we should have the teenagers meet during that fellowship time to just pray about what they're going through um so I, it's not some totally top-down thing it it is something the lord has led us into but it's been a 20-year trajectory for me of the lord saying don't invent problems hmm. yeah and, yeah. and, and let, and keep this verse before you all the time that this is about unity of faith with real people and maturing together to the full stature of Christ. And that's it. That's hmm. what it's about. Hmm. Um, and I, I genuinely think like we talked about remnant stuff previously or, um, I just know too many pastors, I think. I know too many pastors. And the burdens on them are usually about money. Hmm. It's just overwhelming. And it's the albatross around their neck is organizational questions and money questions. And they would, all the pastors I know, would want the burden on them to be the souls of their people hmm. and the struggles they're actually going through. But they have hmm. 15 other things that they have to manage and that make them stay up at night wondering. And, and some of them slip and they say, I can't teach that because so-and-so will leave and we need their giving. Yeah. And I've seen it happen with such well-meaning people. The reality of that right there, I don't know. I feel like you could remove so much overhead and you could run so much lighter. Um, and as a pastor, one of the saving graces has been to have another job. Hmm. If you have all week to wonder if your sermon was good enough, Oof, yeah. you're going to jump off a ledge, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, if you have all week to prepare for a two-hour event, guess what? You're going to wrongly think about that two-hour event needing to save right. everyone. Mm -hmm. If you have all week to blah, blah, blah. Like, I just can't be trusted with that much time thinking about a moment of gathering together without making it this thing I have to do and put mm -hmm. on excellently. Um, he's just saved me by, and, and more pastors would have more credibility with ordinary people if they had jobs. Hmm. Um, it's becoming increasingly difficult to talk to non-Christians if you don't have, if you don't have a legitimate life in, in the world. Right. Um, and I, I can, I know there's a lot of pushback with those kind of things, but, no, I think I think that's a that's you're landing in an interesting place, and I think the conversation is worth continuing and and seeing where your journey goes. But I think you're landing at an interesting place where there's a connection, right, with you saying, uh, "I believe that home church is the way to go because the home is is reality, right? It's it's the real stuff. It's not it's deals with the the day to day of life gets brought into the actual church because the church is in a home, right? So I think that there's an interesting correlation there of like facing and uh, not becoming an isolated experience, but instead be, being an integrated experience. So 
Yeah, I think it's I, helpful. I know we got to rep. I think. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. I'm getting the high sign. Um, if anybody at a church right now said, "Well, I, we couldn't do house church because," okay, I would bet almost all of those becauses are not relevant to mm. Ephesians four thirteen. Interesting. Like they would say because uh, it, it's we have too many people. Yeah. Right. Okay. Great. Right. So so become three house churches um, because uh, I draw a salary um, in this thing. Again, that's just not in Ephesians four. I understand that that is reality and stuff like that. But you shouldn't be making decisions about church based on salary based on organizing, um, you know, uh, the numbers of anonymous people you have to manage or whatever. Like all of the things that would be like, well, we couldn't do that because, mm -hmm. because nobody is willing to like open their home, you know, because that's too invasive and it's too embarrassing. It's too humbling, which is exactly what it is. You know, every week, Lisa and I are humbled. The, oh, gosh. Right. It's not right. perfect again. And, and everybody, every, look around, everybody. Yeah, this is, <laughs> this is our, this is it. This is us. Um, yeah. We didn't fix that yet. You're right. It's been three weeks. The slider still doesn't work. <laughs> you know, like all of the reasons that I found in my own heart, they'd be like, oh, no. Those are the very places that I think are worth interrogating, challenging, mm -hmm. and maybe completely pushing back against or dismissing entirely uh, every practical thing that would keep you out of that space out of that kind of radical move um i think at least is a very provocative place to say is that essential to pastoring is that essential to the unity of faith and maturity to the full stature hmm. of christ and in my experience it pushes on all the right but very sacred cows hmm. that just become normative professional ministry things that no one questions hmm. um and i would encourage people i think pastors have skills that they could bless the public sphere with i think there's so many you know things that could come out of this but i honestly my hope is in sort of the next wave um i know it's a lot for someone who already has all the things or has the building and has a full-time thing i get that and they had a family to support and things like that uh, i don't want to be unfair but I am really interested in the next wave of, of workers, Luke 10, that'll be called to the ripe harvest hmm. and say, okay, maybe entering into this, we could think of it this way. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm, I look forward to uh, maybe checking in later and seeing in a six months or a year and seeing what your, how your <laughs> reflections like, ah, continue. It's on fire. We couldn't do it. <laughs> no, and and I, I think it might be worth a conversation, yeah, including others as well, about like what is church even for? Um, as just sort of an exploration, but thank you for sharing your journey and giving us some uh, honest feedback on how you've gotten there and, and what you hope it becomes. Thank you, Laura.